Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today, the opportunity to read from your word. Pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to what it is that you would have us to learn today. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for being the name above all names, as we've sung today. Thank you for uh, taking care of us and always being there for us. Lord, we pray that the meditations of our hearts and our words today would be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For some reason, when I was growing up, our school district let out the kids an hour and a half early on Wednesdays. I guess it was so that they did professional development every Wednesday instead of having specific days like they have now. But my mom worked in the school, my dad worked for the state, and so that meant that before we were old enough to stay by ourselves, we needed somewhere to go for an hour and a half. And so while some may say Walt Disney World is the most magical place on earth, for my brother and I, it was Nanny and Papa's. We would go every week and we would spend time there. When we went home, we weren't allowed to eat anything before dinner, but when we went to Nanny and Papa's, there was a buffet of things that we were not supposed to eat laying before us with an open invitation. In fact, fifth grade, I do remember this, I ate an entire package of Oreos in one sitting. And in fifth grade, I didn't gain a pound. I wish I could do that now. We had a lot of fun. They had internet. We didn't even have internet. That's how cool my grandparents were. They had internet and we didn't have the internet. One of the things I love the most about going there is playing board games. My grandmother and I would play board games. They had this old family feud uh, board game. They had Yahtzee. We played Yahtzee a lot. But the game we played the most and the one I joined the most was Clue. How many of you know Clue? Right. Clue is the game that children can play, which you figure out who killed who in what room and with what. That children can play. It, times have changed. But Clue, Clue is a who, whodunit game, right? You had to figure out who killed who in what room with what, and, and it was fun. In fact, I think that we as a society kind of like whodunits. In fact, if you look at the most watched television programs, they're not the ones who win the Emmys. They're CSIs and NCISs and Law and Orders. Why? Because we like whodunits. We like knowing that we're going to see something really bad at the beginning, but in 60 minutes they're always going to find their man or their woman or whoever did it. Right? We like watching these programs. We like getting caught up in the mystery. People probably won't use the word sin, but I think that if you ask anyone, save maybe an anarchist, they would look around at the world and they would say that there's something wrong. Something's broken. Something doesn't work right. They would look at how we talk to each other, how we interact with each other. They would look at the issues that our country and our world are facing and they would say there's just something, there's something wrong. And so we have kind of a a whodunit. There's a problem and there is a solution. And so James 4 kind of gives us an illustration of what this problem is and how we are to go about taking care of it. James 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. 
When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In three verses, James tells us everything wrong with the world. We want something, and we will do whatever we can to get that something. If it means that we will tear someone down, we will do it. If it means that we have to steal, we will do it. Either out of selfish ambition or envy, we will do anything and everything possible to make sure that we are taken care of. That summarizes the world pretty good, doesn't it? That's how we act. That's how the world functions. If you don't have something, go get it by any means necessary. This is the way the world works. Last week we talked about how selfish selfish ambition and envy are kind of the root of everything that's evil in us. And that's true about the world. But notice what he says. He says, not only are you, this world, these fights, these quarrels happening, but it's influencing your conversations with God. He says, you ask for things that you shouldn't ask for. And you don't get them. See, this is the way the world works. We like to say, well, at least we'll pray about it. But let's be honest. When we see the way the world works, what we ask for God, or for, for God to give us, it's not what God wants to give us. It's what we want God to give us. We want things. And so all of a sudden, God is this spiritual ATM that we go to, and we hope that we put the right pin number in so we can get what we want. It's the way the world works. We don't think of God until we don't have something, and then we try to see if we can use Him to get what we want. Summarizes the world pretty good, doesn't it? We fight, we quarrel, we want what we want, and then we want God to give us what we want. That's not the way that it should be. There there should be something else that happens. Verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James minces no words here. He calls church people. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about church people. You adulterous people. He's obviously referencing Hosea. You go back in the Old Testament and God says, Hey, I want you to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. Now, there's a lot wrong with that sentence. And there's a lot of hesitations he should have, none the least of which is that the woman's name is Gomer. But he, God says, you're going to do this. And so he does. He goes and he marries this woman. And we don't know if it lasted a week, a month, a day, or what, but we know that she didn't give up her day job. She continued to... She did what she did, and there's a point where she's gone. She's not coming home. She's not in the house. And Hosea has every right to not do anything about it, and that's when God says, okay, bring her back. And so he has to go, and he has to pay a servant's price to bring her back. And God says, this is how it works. The people of Israel are mine. They belong to me, and yet they go and they go around with other people, with other things, with other entities. And yet there will be a day where I pay a price to bring them back. And here's the issue. Is that you and I, we see that there's a problem in the world, and yet 
we try to gomer and cozy up with a presidential candidate or a political party or a hashtag or we try to gomer up with a civic group or a celebrity or something like that because we think if only they will get what they want, the world will be a better place. In other words, we're trying to solve the world's messes with the world, who, by the way, is creating the messes. That's why I think James uses this phrase, you adulterous people. You have a God who is on your side. You have a God who has the key to everything. You have the God who can bring about peace, and yet you are going with other things. And here's the thing. We have to realize that God's agent of change to speak out against injustice, to stand for truth, to heal the broken, to bless the poor, and to lead righteously, it's not any politician. It's not a social civic group. It's the church. That's who it is. God's instrument for change in this world is you and it's me. There's a good chance that we have a big list of things in this world that we say someone ought to do something about that. And God says, you're right. You should. Because he has equipped the church to carry out his message and his purpose. Verse 5, James says, do you think that this, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Just as Hosea desired purity from Gomer, God desires that the spirit that he gave us remains with him. He wants us to turn to him for all matters of any questions that we may have. Whether it's something that's in your life or something that's in this world, God wants you to seek him and so he can tell you what to do. So he can show you his will, his way, and how you can be a part of it. But if we just rely on the world to take care of the world's problems, God doesn't get a chance to do what he wants to do. We have to be willing to go to him. So verse 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, God gives us grace. God's already paid that price on Calvary. And he says, no matter how many times you've gone out on me, I'll still take you back. Because I have a plan for you. I have a plan for this church. God opposes the proud. That's what we go back to in verse 3. He says, when you ask, you don't receive. Why? You're asking for things that are going to bolster you up. Things that are going to fluff you up. That's what you want. Instead, God doesn't, doesn't desire that. He shows favor to the humble. Those who come around and have a simple statement that none of us, especially us men, like to admit, I can't do this. I can't do this. When you look at your addiction in the face, you say, I'm not going to see what Oprah has to say about it. I'm not going to do that. I can't do this. 
when you look at racism, you say, God, we can't do this. But you can. And so what happens? We submit ourselves to God. We say, God, we can't do this on our own. We need you. We need your power, your strength, your guidance. And so what happens? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. N.T. Wright says this. He says, the devil is a coward. When he is resisted with prayer that claims the victory of Jesus on the cross, he knows that he is beaten. So many people tell me that the reason that the world is going, well, in a certain direction is because we're not allowing God in certain places. God is everywhere. Which means that it's just his people that aren't going where it needs to go. God's everywhere. God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Oh, he's there. The question is, where is his church? Jesus says that anyone who would come after him must take up his cross daily and follow him. And so many of us take that as, oh my goodness, what a burden. What a burden to have to carry this cross. What a burden to have, look how, how much suffering Jesus had. But what Jesus is trying to get across is, when you carry the cross and Satan sees it, he runs away because he knows he's beaten. We need a few more people carrying their cross. We need to equip teachers and students so that when Monday comes and they walk into a place that is often full of darkness, they walk in with the cross of Jesus and Satan says, I want no business here today. A people who go into a classroom and say, I'm going to treat people with respect. I'm going to treat people with honor. I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show grace. And I may not be able to hold hands and lead a prayer, but throughout the day I can pray over every single person in this room. Satan wants no part of it. Because where the cross is, he runs away. Your workplace is a place where you need to carry the cross. Our society is a place in which Christians need to quit picking up other banners and simply take the cross out and say, This is what we're about. This is what God wants. And we'll see Satan run away. Because here's the truth. Every time we go to something else besides God to fix our problems, we just let Satan hang around. He's not scared of your government. He's not scared of your social media hashtags. He's not scared of anything of this world. He's not scared of Dr. Phil. He's not scared of anyone. He's scared of Jesus. And the reason that he's long instead of Jesus, and we've brought other things with us instead of Jesus, you carry the name of Christ in your name. You're a Christian. Jesus. Verse 8, James says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, here's the truth. is that we can go and do what we've done, and we can continue to count on things that we shouldn't count on, 
But there's one entity in this relationship between us and God that never lets us down, and that's God. God is faithful. God is true. When he says that I am with you always to the very end of the age, guess what? He is with us always to the very end of the age. When he says that he has a plan for us, guess what? He has a plan for us. That doesn't change whether we feel like it or not. God always comes through. But it's on our end that we have to humble ourselves. But the beautiful realization is that if we just simply say, I can't do this anymore, God, probably not sarcastically, says, I know. So let's do something about this. Because I've always been here. When you went away chasing those things that you chased in college, I've always been here. When you got tricked into thinking that somebody else was going to fix all the problems, I've been here. If you will just simply say you need me, I will be here. And that's the hope that you and that I get to carry with us every single day. And that's step one. Step one for us to make a lasting change in our lives and in the community and the world around us is to say we can't do it. And God promises us that He's always been there, that He's ready to go. Don't think that God is just sitting by waiting for something to happen so He can walk back in the room and say, okay, now that I'm welcome here. God's already here. He's already where you're going and He has a plan for you to do and for us to do. Verse 9, James says, Grieve, mourn, and well." Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Here at East 40, we believe in connecting and growing and serving. There's a good chance if we changed our motto to grieve, mourn, and well, we would have a whole lot less people here. So how is this? It doesn't sound like that's fun. It doesn't sound like that's life to the fullest. James isn't saying that a life with God turns you into this. He's saying, look around you. Look at how the world works. And you should grieve. You should absolutely hate what injustice does to people in this world. When you see someone debilitated by sin, you should mourn that they have fallen so far and sin has tricked them so badly that they think this is the right choice. When we see things that are happening in this world, we should wail at the top of our lungs, this isn't right. And here's the key one. We shouldn't laugh at sin. I know, all those times that you said, I know I shouldn't laugh at this, but, and then you laugh at it, you shouldn't have laughed at it. You were right in the first place. We shouldn't laugh at sin. We shouldn't take joy when sin wins and when sin is promoted and sin is celebrated. We shouldn't be tricked into thinking that just because this is the way the world goes, that this is the way the church goes. We should look at it and say, no. No more. No more. This past week, if you ask the world, we recognize someone who stood up and brought a revolution in how people view women. The church should say, no, Hugh Hefner started pornography. 
He started Playboy magazine. He degraded women. Women are created in God's image. They aren't just this thing that you post up on a poster. They're something that's worthwhile and true. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the church should say. The church shouldn't go along when the world does evil things and just say, well, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. The church should say, no. The way it's going to be is there's going to be a day where there's no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, no tears, and God is in control. And until that day, we will do our part to make sure that that kingdom comes on this earth. We shouldn't celebrate what the world celebrates. It means that we shouldn't be okay when we see injustice. That we shouldn't be numb when we see violence. That we shouldn't brush off oppression when we see it. And that every time we see sin, we should be offended. Because it spits in the face of our God. But too often, we like to cozy up to the world. And we like to do what the world is doing. If you notice today, there hasn't been a lot of points to write down. That's because there's really just one today. As we read through James 4, as we read through the Bible, I think it's pretty clear that we need to take something home today. Is that you and I do not need to rely on the, the world to do what God has commissioned the church to do. We shouldn't wait for the world to get its act together because, hey, it's not going to get its act together. It's not. Ever. But instead, we should say, if I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, if I am on God's side, if I am on God's team, then that means there's something for us to do. That's why he says back in verse 10, he says, He will lift you up. Look through Scripture and see how many times God lifts someone up and just says, okay, you stay there. Zero times. When God lifts you up, He has a purpose for you to do. And so this morning, our prayer is that He would lift us up. That He would lift you up in your life. To battle those demons that have plagued you maybe for a very long time, that you've gone to other people and to other ways to try and treat and take care of them, that God would lift you up so that you would know that He's the only one who can take care of it. Today we pray corporately as a body of believers here at East 40 that God would lift us up. He would lift us up for a purpose and a desire to go into this world and where we see sickness and brokenness and when we see disorder that we bring the cross of Jesus with us and say, Satan, get out, and we live as Christians. That's our prayer, that God would lift us up. Let's not rely on the world. They're the ones who messed us up in the first place. Let's rely on God. And so this morning we have a couple invitations. The first one is for all of us. All of us have to make a decision today. Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to turn to for your problems? Who are you going to try and get to make a solution in this world? And the answer, if it isn't God, isn't good enough. And so this morning let us be a people who say that I choose to carry this cross. 
I choose to be a Christian. And that begins by laying down at the cross of Jesus everything that we have turned to and said, none of this works, just you. And so this morning, I hope that you will do that. If that means that this morning you do that for the very first time, that you come forward and you say, I'm tired of living life everything with every other hope and aspiration, I simply want God, then we invite you to come forward and do that. We invite you to come forward and receive the message of repentance and salvation and baptism. And we'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you want to join this church, that you want to say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of an active, moving body of believers here at East 40, who when God calls us, we answer. We'd love to have you come forward here today. But guys, let's, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that the world can solve the world's problems. It can't. God can. God will. And we are on His side. We have a God whose name is above all names. A God whose name is greater than anything that we can call on. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward. If not, let's sing about that. Let's praise Him. Father, thank You so much for loving us. Thank You that You have never left us. You've never abandoned us. You've always been there. And there have been times that we've chased after other things, just like Gomer. And we've, we've done things that we shouldn't have. And yet, here, God, here You You are here and you are waiting for us. And today we pray that we would all answer that prayer and say, I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to start over. Father, help us to not look for worldly things to fix worldly problems. We know that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that, that you want to bring your kingdom to this earth and you want to do it through your church. That's why we're here. We are your hands and your feet, your ambassadors to this world. And so we pray today, Father, help us to be that. Help us to stand for what is right and what is true in grace and truth. Help us to not let things go by. Help us to not laugh at sin. Help us to do what is right and what is true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.